Well, today's reading is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and will establish, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, as was on brand for the year 2020, it's been a long week, a long week for people who were paying attention to the election. I mean, we used to get, you know, like you would tune in and by 10, 11 o'clock at night, you'd know the results. But of course, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, voting patterns change. And so we got several days of, 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 of obsessive focus in the media and maybe for some of us on the results of this general election. And, you know, Every four years we get, and I mean, uh, it seems like now these things stretch forever, but, but every four years there's a focus for us on selecting our leaders. But our passage this morning is one that, that, that focuses our attention, it hones our attention more on, on, on who our true leader is. And this is truly one of the most important foundational passages in Scripture because it's from this passage, Second Samuel chapter 7, that the entire uh, concept of the Messiah of God's anointed and chosen king comes from. This is our Magna Carta. This is our constitution. This is our founding and foundational document as Christians that brings us and points us towards Jesus, of, of, of this king who, um, you know, in the, in the great hallelujah chorus of Handel's Messiah, which words which echo this passage of Scripture right here, you know, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's right here. 
It's right here. And our passage concerns David. Now, we're going through uh, the narrative lectionary. It's taking us through some of the greatest passages in the Old Testament, telling the, the great sweeping story of God that's contained in Scripture. And so, last week, we saw that David's story, the story of the Messiah, it started with Hannah offering her son Samuel to the Lord. And so, then Samuel becomes this great prophet, and, and he anoints Israel's first king, Saul, who's deposed. And then Israel's second king, David. And David's risen up at this point from his humble origins as the runt shepherd boy, the overlooked son of Jesse. He's, he's slain the Philistine champion, Goliath. He's survived multiple attempts on his life and plots at Saul's hand. He's won numerous military battles. He's, he, he's vanquished, for a time at least, the hated Philistines, and he's captured the Jebusite city of Jerusalem, and he's decided that he's going to make it his capital, and he's retrieved the Ark of the Covenant from national obscurity, and he's bringing it again to the center of the life of the people. And so David, at this point, it's a time of victory. It's a time of consolidation. It's a time for him of rest from all of the turmoil and all of the tumult that has marked uh, the first years of his life and of his rule. He's united all of these disparate tribes, and he's made them a kingdom. And so David decided, you know, Jerusalem is going to be my capital city, and, and so I need to settle down. And part of settling down is he built himself a beautiful house. And so this morning, we're, we're going to look, though, at, at the difference between a house and a home. The kind of house or home that David has in his mind, the one that God has in mind, and, 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 and what is a forever house. Now, on the subject uh, of, of the difference between a house and, and a home, I think that's something that we can all relate to. You know, we were, home ownership is part of the American dream, right? It's, 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 it's if you own a house, it's kind of the vehicle into the, the middle class, people's homes. It's the biggest asset that most people own. And so, you know, kind of entwined in, in this concept of what it means to make it in this country is to own, own a house. And Amy and I were not homeowners until we purchased our, our current home in Minneapolis about seven years ago, or just over seven years ago. And before that, we always rented. And though we lived in these amazing places, they were never home. And our housing actually wasn't always that, quite that good where we lived. So, you know, Princeton, New Jersey, this lovely town in central New Jersey, and, and the housing there was, was modest. You know, seminary, student housing, especially in those days, was, was quite modest for us. And then we lived in Ojai, California, you know, Shangri-La, this beautiful town nestled in the mountains. And we lived in this very depressing townhouse condo um, that had like three windows in the whole place and, 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 and the original 1970s kitchen and the builder-grade carpet that was about 20 years old. And so that we had places to live, we, we, we had houses, we never had a home. So there's something, there's a lot to be said for a house that you can call your own, that you can make into a home. And I'm not saying that you know, you have to own a place. But there is a sense where, where, where something doesn't become your home until you have a sense of ownership over it, even if you don't own it, if that makes sense. And so David, he's built himself this, this great home panel, the cedar-paneled home in Jerusalem. And he starts to feel guilty because, well, he's living in this luxurious pad 
the Lord is still living outside in a tent. And he looks at the difference between those two things, and, and he's embarrassed. He's ashamed, right? It's like David is living in the four seasons, and the Lord is at four seasons total landscaping. So David goes to Nathan the prophet, whom Eugene Peterson, when he's commenting on this passage, he cheekily says that Nathan is David's pastor. And David points out this disparity. He says, you know, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but, 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 but the ark of God, it, it's in a tent. And the implication here is clear. David's saying, I have a better house than God. That can't be right. And, and, and when he's talking about this, he's saying the Ark of the Tabernacle, which contains, you know, uh, uh, the Ten Commandments and the jar with manna. It has the cherubim where the presence of God is supposed to dwell on earth. You know, it's sitting outside in this portable shrine. It's like a canvas tent you can pick up. It's like when the circus comes to town. It can move from one place to another. It's a dwelling for the God of a people that are always on the go. So David goes to Nathan, he says, well, I think now that I've decided to settle down, it's time for God to settle down too. Because we're no longer just 12 disparate tribes, we're one people united under my rule, we're a united kingdom, and so God needs to settle down just like we are. And Nathan's initial response to David is, go ahead. They don't even just stop and pray about it or ask about it. It's such an obviously good idea that he says, go ahead. Nathan gives David the building permit that he was seeking. Now, that doesn't last, but you can see, I think, what David is doing here. He is thinking about what he can do for God. He's thinking about how he can get God to settle down. He's thinking about how he can, in some way, shape, or form, domesticate God to the new situation. And that's always the danger in our relationship with the Lord when we start thinking about all of the things that we can do for him. Right, all of the great ideas we have, all of the great plans that we have for him that we can put into motion. And when we do that, how we can also ensure that God will do the things for us that we want him to do. Now, much to our frustration, because when we're talking about uh, this chapter, when we're talking about the Messiah, we're talking about the king, we're talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so to our frustration, because we're doers, Right? We're accomplished. We're people who can accomplish great things. In the Bible, when it talks about the kingdom of God, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it never talks about us building it. Never talks about us expanding it. Never talks about us, you know, extending the kingdom of God. Instead, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he says that we're to seek it, to enter it, to receive it, to inherit it, to wait for it to declare it. Now, David wants to build a house where the focus is going to be on what he has done for God. But instead, God wants to make sure from the outset that the focus is always on what he has done for us. So David wants to take the initiative, right? He is a man of action, He's a builder, he's an establisher, he's a doer. That's the kind of house, that, the foundation for the house that he wants to build for God. Uh, but we need to shift our focus to the kind of house that God wants to build for David and for us. 
So Nathan says to David, yeah, go ahead. Do what's in your heart. And, and then that very same night, it says that the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And, and, and God tells Nathan, hold on a second. You, you need to pull back on that, that building permit that you just gave to David. Now, God's message, it's, it's filled with great irony. Because while David is saying, I need to build a house for God because my house is good, his house is bad, God says that I am going to build a house for David. No, no, no. You're not going to build. I'm going to build. And, and it's, when God speaks about building a house, it's, it's wonderfully playing off the, the semantic range of the Hebrew word for house, which can, can, can cover a physical structure like a house or, or a temple. That's how David's thinking. But a house in Hebrew can also refer to relationships, to a dynasty, to a clan, to a tribe, to a lineage. So, so it has its you know, literal concrete meaning and its metaphorical meaning. And David is thinking in terms of the literal and the concrete, but God's view is so much bigger than his. You know, David is talking about a place, a physical place for God to dwell. But God talks instead about how the grace of God will dwell amongst his people like it always has. And first, when, when it comes to building a house, God makes it clear that he never asked for this. Go and tell my servant David, he says, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought my people out of Israel, the people of Israel out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving in a tent for for my dwelling. It was fine. There was no problem. Camping works just fine for God. The tabernacle, it's the great biblical proof, the scriptural proof that God loves camping. And that going camping is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual practice. So if you ever need to justify that camping trip you need to take, just say, I'm doing what God would have me to do. God's a camper. I'm a camper too. But God, what he's saying through here, seriously, is though he's a pilgrim God for a pilgrim people. You can't tie him down. You can't domesticate him. You can't control him. Where is God's home? It's wherever his people are. It's in the midst of his people. Where they are, God will be with them. That's the promise, the truth of Emmanuel. God with us. So God didn't ask for this. And then God makes it clear to David that, that, that his house, that he is going to build him, is built on nothing less than a foundation of grace. Grace as experienced by David in his life to bring him to the point where, where he is as, as king of this united kingdom. And grace that is promised to David in the future and to the people. Because it, it, God, the Lord recites in his word to Nathan, it says, you know, I'm the one who brought you up from, from being a shepherd. I plucked you out of obscurity, even in his own family. Out from the fields and I made you to be king. And it was God in his grace who granted him victory after victory against all odds. And it was God who took this nobody. I mean, David was just a nobody from a nobody people and and, and promised to give him a name that would be amongst the greatest in history. Ask not, David, what you can do for God, but what God has done for you. And this grace, which has shaped David's life and and his past, it it doesn't just belong in the past, but it stretches far into the future. God promises him, and he promises the people rest. 
an end to the fighting and the striving and the struggling. He promises them rest. And he promises David an everlasting kingdom, that, that, that David's throne and his line shall be established forever. So David's plan was he was going to build God a house, but God's plan is to build his house, his kingdom, his rule, his reign through David. And the reason that this chapter is so crucial in Scripture, why it's one of the most important in the entire Bible, is this. It's because the promise that God makes, the promises that he makes to David, the, the covenant, the, the promissory relationship that God enters into with David at this moment, it's unconditional. It's an unconditional relationship. There is no if-then clause. You know, David, if you do all of these things, then your kingdom's going to be established forever. No, it's an unconditional promise of unconditional grace to David and the people because of God's unconditional love. And so this is what sets biblical religion apart from all of the others out there, right? Every other religion is like David at the beginning of our passage saying, okay, what can I do for God, for the deity, in order to ensure and secure for myself and my progeny God's blessings? And that's what you did in the ancient Near East, right? If you got some success, you build a temple for your God, and then you make sure then the God follows through on saying, okay, you did this for me. Thank you very much. Your throne, your lineage, your dynasty is established forever. That was the pattern in the ancient Near East. God flips that completely on its head and focuses instead on what God is going to do to reach down to David with unconditional love, unconditional grace. That's, that's the foundation. That's, that's the kind of house that God promises to build. But what about this forever house? Because another striking thing about this passage, just when we understand how the Bible came together in, in its history, is, is that, you know, the Scripture as we know it started to take something like its final form during the period of the Babylonian exile. So that was, you know, David, when the events here are about the year, you know, 1000 or, or 900 something BC. And then, you know, his line has a good run, a great run. His dynasty has an incredible run in terms of time. 400 years pass after the events of 2 Samuel 7. But then the kingdom is defeated. David's dynasty ends. And so it's in the Babylonian exile when God's people have been taken from this land and taken to another country, uh, you know, they write down the Bible. They write down these stories that they've been telling and these passages that have been transmitted from one generation to the next. And things are so bad. But in their exile, a people in exile made sure that they included this passage, this promise, this passage in their scriptures of unconditional grace and an unending kingdom. How could they do that when all that that was predicated upon had been taken away and fallen apart? When there were no more sons of David to sit on the throne. And the ones who had sat on that throne, the history tells us most of them, almost to a person, had done a terrible job. They did that because they could do that because they understood that this promise, this house, it was so much greater than any earthly dynasty. Because the Lord was talking about building a forever house through a son of David that was indestructible for three reasons that we see right here in this passage. And one of the reasons was that death 
could not annul it. In verses 12 and 13, it says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, David, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Death cannot stop God from building this house. The second reason this is a forever house is that sin cannot destroy this house. God makes it clear that, that he's going to punish sin when it occurs in David's house, but sin will not bring his house down. And third, we see that this forever house is indestructible because time will not exhaust it. In verse 16, it says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. So death cannot annul it. Sin cannot destroy it. Time cannot exhaust it. God promises David an everlasting kingdom founded on a promise of unconditional grace. And we know that none of the kings, even the good ones, the rare good ones in David's dynasty fit the description. None of them are worthy of this honor. But we know that there was another son of David who was. Another son of David whom death could not defeat. In fact, what he defeated death, whom sin could not destroy, but what he destroyed sin. And whom time could not exhaust because he is now risen, immortal, and eternal. And so the conclusion to this sermon is not to focus on, okay, now given that we know this, here's what you need to do. Step one, step two, step three. That would be to betray the spirit of this passage because it's not about what we do, but about what God has done for us. It's not about what, who we are, but who God is and who he's shown us to be in Christ. And so our focus ought to be on the kingdom and the king and what he's done for us and what he's doing now to bring the kingdom into our midst. And so what's the takeaway? I think it's to stop to think, to reflect, to pray, to give thanks, and to all hail King Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this great text that stands before us as a testament, a monument to your steadfast love. You're always faithful, never giving up, never quitting love that you have for us, that you have shown us through great David's greater son. And so today, this morning, Lord, help us to keep our eyes upon Jesus and to seek first his kingdom and trust that then all of these things that we seek, that we desire will be added unto us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.